Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Texas Army National Guard has a group of special workers called parachute riggers. Their job is to fold and pack the parachutes soldiers use when jumping from airplanes. These people are intensely dedicated to their task. The riggers' creed states, I will be sure, always. They know jumpers need assurance that everything regarding their chutes is perfect. In the time it takes to meticulously pack an MC-11 military parachute, 30 folds are required. A jumper has nothing to do with the chute until they put it on before a jump. Trust in the error-free performance of the riggers is all a jumper has to rely on. The riggers' creed further states, I will never let the idea that a piece of work is good enough make me a potential murderer through a careless mistake or oversight, for I know there can be no compromise with perfection. Riggers know that the parachute business is a life-or-death enterprise. Mistakes cost lives. There is no room for error in the packing of a parachute, and likewise, in the gospel ministry, there is no room for error. It is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Mistakes cost people their eternal destinies. It is vital that we have the gospel absolutely 100% correct. As those jumpers need full assurance that everything is perfect, perfect with their chute, so people need full assurance that the gospel they hear and believe is true. When we rightly divide God's word, we can give people this assurance. Paul's gospel of grace is the only and true gospel by which people are saved today. The gospel of grace teaches that all are sinners and that the wages of sin is death. And that sin is what separates us from God. The gospel for today is that there is absolutely nothing for you to do for your salvation from your sins and hell. It teaches us that Christ did it all. He paid the full penalty for all our sins at the cross. Paul's gospel tells us to just trust that Christ died for your sins was buried, and rose again, and in doing so, just believing that gospel message, you are saved. And we are saved by God's grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And at that moment of trusting Christ for your salvation, by the grace of God, we are forgiven of all of our sins, we are redeemed, reconciled, justified, and we have the gift of eternal life. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 read, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. A boy asked his father to explain the differences among irritation, aggravation, and frustration. His father picked up a phone, dialed a number at random. When the phone was answered, he said, Can I speak to Ralph, please? No, there's no one called Ralph here. 
says the person who answered the phone. His father hung up, told his son, that's irritation. Picked up the phone again, dialed the same number, and asked for Ralph a second time. No, there's no one here called Ralph. Go away, don't call again, the person said. His father hung up, told his boy, that's aggravation. Then what's frustration, asked his son. The father picked up the phone, dialed the same number a third time, and said, Hello, this is Ralph. Have I received any phone calls? Paul is irritated, aggravated, and frustrated with the Galatians here. In his letters to other churches, Paul normally begins with some expression of praise and thanksgiving for their faith and service to the Lord. But not here. Not in the epistle to the Galatians. And this is especially striking when you compare it to the letter of 1 Corinthians. Because in, in spite of the Corinthians' carnality and their immorality that you learn about in those books, Paul still commended them and offered thanksgiving for them. Here, though, in the face of a theological doctrinal departure and a defection from grace in the gospel committed to Paul, he does not offer any commendation or praise for the Galatians. Rather, Paul begins with disbelief that the Galatians were allowing themselves to be influenced to mix law and grace, both doctrinally and practically, that they were willingly putting themselves under the law. The Galatians were being told that Gentiles needed circumcision and had to come under the law of Moses to be saved and to live a life pleasing to the Lord. But to Paul, what they were basically being taught to believe and what they were believing was that Christ was not enough and the Galatians were buying into it. This direct contradiction of the primary thrust of Paul's ministry and message outrages Paul and prompts him to write a strong and stinging letter to the Galatians, unequivocally reaffirming the sufficiency of Christ for salvation and for our practical sanctification. But the church today is faced with the same mixing of law and grace, the same departure from Paul and the gospel of pure grace, the same lack of faith in the sufficiency of Christ for salvation and in our daily life. Thus, the teaching of the book of Galatians is vitally important for all believers back then and right now. And Paul writes, I marvel, meaning that he was astounded, bewildered, astonished. He found it extraordinary. He could not fathom why they were so soon removed from him that called them into the grace of Christ and do a different gospel. Pastor Charles Wendell writes, Why would a slave once free, go back to living in bondage? Why would he willingly place his heeled ankles back in the shackles that had scraped them raw? Why would he, having breathed the sweet, pure air of the gospel, return to the dark, dank dungeon of legalism? With these kind of questions in mind, Paul wrote to the Galatians. It was almost inconceivable to him that they would desert Christ in his Grace for the law and legalism. And his heart is stirred as he marveled that they were so soon removed, so quickly turning away and becoming of another mind. The word so soon may refer to the time of their conversion or to the time that the Judaizers or the legalists had come among them and the short period of time before their departure from Paul and 
in the gospel of grace. The Galatians were apparently offering little resistance, were not taking a stand, and were easily influenced by these teachers to grab onto another gospel. Paul reaches for their hearts here, though, to show the gravity of what they were doing when he wrote, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him. The Galatians were not just defecting or turning away from a system of theology. They were turning away from God himself. The gospel of grace is God's truth for today, and to turn away from it is to turn away from God. The Galatians perhaps thought that they were honoring God by putting themselves under his law, but in actuality, they were dishonoring him by doing so under grace. Paul says that they were turning away from him that called you into the grace of Christ. The Galatian believers had responded in faith to God's call for salvation, which is made to all people by his grace. He calls all people to salvation today by the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's point is that seeing as how they were called by God to the saving gospel of the grace of God, why were they going back to another gospel? A gospel for a former dispensation, for a former program. Paul tells the Galatians who had been called into the grace of Christ that they were turning away unto another gospel, which is not another, he says there. What does that mean? It makes you want to ask, is it another or isn't it another? In verses 6 and 7, there are two different Greek words used for the word another. The first Greek word, heteros, means another of a different kind. The second another is the Greek word alos, meaning another of the same kind. Paul is not saying that the Galatians were being led astray to a false gospel, but to another gospel of a different kind. In other words, they were trusting in a gospel which belonged to a former dispensation. They were forsaking the gospel of grace for the gospel of the circumcision or the gospel of the kingdom, a gospel that was of faith demonstrated by works under the law. And Paul says that this gospel is not another, the Greek word alos, meaning that it is not another of the same kind as his gospel. The gospel Purely of the grace of God is the gospel that was committed to Paul, a gospel of faith plus absolutely nothing. The Galatian believers were saved by the gospel of grace under the dispensation of grace, but these legalists had come in among them and they were trying to pull them back under the law, requiring and demanding that law and works be added to faith in Christ for salvation. In doing doing that, He said, Paul says, they were perverting the gospel of Christ, trying to bring believers who are saved under grace back under the bondage of law-keeping is to frustrate the grace of God, pervert the gospel of the grace of God. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Galatians, Law vs. Grace is a hardcover, 329-page commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm, founder of the Berean Bible Society. This volume is a comprehensive study on the unique character of Paul's apostleship and message. 
Pastor Stam effectively shows how legalism had sapped the spiritual vitality of the Galatians and the course of action the Apostle took to deal with the matter. The book takes a fresh new look at a number of age-old problems. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. American dispensationalist pioneer, Pastor J.C. O'Hare once rightly said, God is very jealous concerning his own redemptive work. It is a serious spiritual crime to offer to saint or sinner a message of grace and law mixed. God wants his message of grace to be kept pure and the sufficiency of Christ for salvation to be proclaimed. The Greek word translated as pervert here means to reverse to turn about, to change to the opposite. And so in adding works and law to Paul's gospel of grace, the Judaizers, these legalists, they reversed the gospel. They turned it around and changed its character completely. It's like Romans eleven six says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. It's been rightly said that the legalists were substituting law for grace, circumcision for the cross, works for faith, bondage for liberty, and self for Christ. Adding the law to grace doesn't pollute it. It reverses it. Grace can't be modified or changed or altered. Nothing could be added to the grace of God to make it better whatsoever. The grace of God shows us that Christ is our all. It shows us that Christ, not the law, is our righteousness. It shows us that Christ, not the law, is our life. Christ, not the law, is our standard for holiness. Christ, not the law, gives strength for life, for living a life pleasing to God under grace. As we read in Galatians 2.20 and 21, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9 say, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul presents a hypothetical to convey how important it is to stand for his gospel. Paul states that if we, meaning he or any of his co-labors, or even if an angel from heaven came preaching any other gospel, that they should be anathema or accursed. Paul's gospel was unchangeable. Neither he nor anyone else had any authority or right to alter it or add to it because it's of divine origin. It comes from God. Paul's gospel was given him by Christ himself. Verses 11 and 12 show that. 
And when Paul writes, The gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for neither I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now later in this epistle, chapter 4, verse 14, Paul wrote that the Galatians received him as an angel of God. And so an angel from heaven may refer simply to a messenger who came to the Galatians with false or with true authority from above. In any case, Paul takes his illustration to an extreme to bring home his firm and earnest point that absolutely no messenger, no matter how seemingly godly, good, popular, authoritative, not himself, not his co-workers, not even an angel from heaven should be received, should be believed, should be followed if their teaching does not fall in line with the gospel of the grace of God. To those who would doubt that believers are complete in Christ by faith alone, or who would change or add to Paul's gospel, or who would preach a gospel other than his, Paul actually even calls down a curse. And he says, let them be accursed or anathema. The Greek word anathema is a strong word, and it means devoted to destruction. They're not saved and proclaim any other gospel than Paul's. They will be anathema if they do not trust Christ and die in their sins and will be devoted to destruction forever in hell. But what about those who are saved and thus cannot lose their salvation and yet knowingly or ignorantly preach a gospel other than Paul's? First, such a believer can reap a curse when they stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians three fourteen and 15, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer a loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And second, that word accursed carries the idea of being separated and cast out in life. Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, Joshua, speaking of Jericho, says, Keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourself accursed, when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. Similarly, Paul's statement, let him be a curse, speaks of the need for believers to recognize and separate from those who proclaim a mixed gospel today, lest they influence us to become accursed, as we too begin to proclaim the gospel in error. The opposite of a curse is a blessing. So a ministry that faithfully proclaims the gospel of pure grace, according to Paul, that ministry has the blessing of God today. This is the case even if the number and size of the church is very small. Numbers and sizes of churches mean nothing when it comes to revealing the blessing of God. We walk by faith, not by sight today. Paul's words are so serious, so solemn, that in verse 9 he reiterates the statement. But Paul turns from the hypothetical to the actual as he repeats his admonition. Paul is not referring to the previous verse when he writes, As we said before. The repetition of his statement is actually a reminder of a warning that he had given them earlier when he was among them and ministering there. The word now is an adverb of time implying a lapse of time and a contrast between the present 
in the past. So when Paul says, as we said before, he is referring to a previous visit when he had warned him about this. That makes his point even stronger and the Galatians' defection from Paul even more inexcusable. Verse 8 is written from the standpoint of the apostle and his fellow laborers referring to the gospel which we have preached unto you. Verse 9 is from the standpoint of the converts referring to the gospel that ye have received, he says. The gospel for which Paul was so jealous was the gospel that they had accepted, they had trusted, the gospel that had freed them from all their sins and had given them life eternal. The verse also convicted the Galatians by reminding them that they had received the Paul or had received Paul's gospel, so why hadn't they stood for it? The element of a hypothetical situation is removed from though, or if by any chance anyone should preach it in verse eight to a more direct matter of fact, or as is the case if any man preach any other gospel unto you in verse nine. The element of improbability is also lessened by removing we or an angel from heaven and replacing it with any man or anybody. But the anathema remains. The anathema remains upon any person who would proclaim any other gospel than Paul's. People's eternal destinies are at stake as we consider the importance of what gospel is to be made known and believed. If the gospel of grace for today is confused or mixed, people are in danger of not trusting Christ alone and thus being eternally lost. And that is why Paul's tone here is so serious. Verse 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. In light of all Paul had written up to this point, and especially in light of the two anathemas he had pronounced on any who did not preach his gospel, Paul asks rhetorical questions. Do I persuade men or do I persuade God? Do I seek to please men? Paul sought only the favor of God. Therefore, he did not soft-pedal or compromise the truth so as not to offend others. And seeking only to please the Lord, Paul stood firmly for the gospel of pure grace. And we too need to stand fast and uncompromising for the gospel of pure grace, knowing that that pleases the Lord. We need to be alert. We need to be vigilant against subtle or blatant attacks against the gospel of grace. In verse 10, a convicting point was driven home to the Galatians. Who were they trying to please is the idea here. Are they trying to please man or are they trying to please God? And many times people are more interested in pleasing spiritual leaders, friends, family, their denomination. They're more interested in pleasing them than they are in pleasing the Lord. And here you see the Galatians are making concessions, trying to please men. And they were turning away, deserting Paul, perverting the gospel of pure grace. Paul says, if I yet pleased men, or if I were still trying to be a people pleaser like during my unsaved days as a Pharisee, he says, I should not be a servant of Christ. Upon his salvation, Paul truly lived for the audience of one. And we should do the same. As Christ's servant, Paul's will was lost in his master's. 
He sought only to please his master and not men. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his now famous 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg. The act brought him attention that he had never sought. Luther challenged the theology of the religious leaders of his day in regards to justification by faith and the authority of Scripture. Four years later, in April 1521, in Worms, Germany, at the Diet of Worms, Luther stood before King Charles V and papal representatives. At the Diet, Luther was asked whether he acknowledged authorship of a list of works which had been determined to be an error. He did. He was then asked whether he was willing to recant the errors contained in them. The following is his answer. Your Imperial Majesty and your Lordships demand a simple answer. Here it is, plain and unvarnished. Since I put no trust in the supported authority of Pope or of councils, since it is plain that they have often erred and often contradicted themselves, unless I am convinced of error by the testimony of Scripture or by manifest reasoning, I stand convinced by the Scriptures to which I have appealed. My conscience is taken captive by God's word, for to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. I cannot and I will not recount, recant anything. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Like the Apostle Paul, Luther sought to please the Lord only and to stand for him in his truth. To stand for God's word rightly divided in Paul's gospel, we must have the mindset of Paul to seek only to please God and not man. We will likely be rejected by people for it, but our consciences must be taken captive by the word of God so that we stand for the truth and God's strength and for his glory. We have a selection of gospel tracts that we sell here at Breen Bible Society they each present the gospel of pure grace through faith alone in Christ. They sell in packs of 25 for $3 or 100 for $10 plus postage and handling. You can view them on our website at BereanBibleSociety.org or you can call us at 262-255-4750. We'd be happy to send you a free copy of a list of all of our tracts and literature. For the sole purpose of helping believers understand and enjoy the Word of God, our organization holds without apology to all the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and we believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone, based on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also emphasize the importance of rightly dividing the Word of Truth and understanding God's Word in light of the Pauline revelation for today. Paul is the Apostle of the Gentiles, and it is our firm conviction that in his epistles alone, we have the doctrine, position, walk, and destiny for the Church of the Body of Christ during the present dispensation of grace. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. 
We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.